So, Sarah. Yeah? Here's the thing. What? Here's the thing. What thing? Here's the thing. It's sports team episode. Hey. <laughs> I'm absolutely buzzing for this episode. Me too. We had the pleasure of talking to Alex Rice, frontman of the band Sports Team. This was just after their debut album, Deep Down Happy, went to number two in the official UK chart in a little battle against Lady Gaga. And just before they got nominated for a Mercury Prize. A Mercury Prize! And this was all for their album, Deep Down Happy. So we thought, well, obviously, you know, Alex will need to come on to figure out who Larry is and why he's so happy and also what makes him deep down happy. Hey, hey, Alex, how are you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, very, very well. All in a, all in a house in Camwell together, which is nice. Um, so, but we're sort of hemmed in by the rain a bit today. Have you been there for the whole of lockdown? We were, we were quite lucky at the start of it in that we were in uh, a studio in Cornwall. So we got quite a lot of album two done there. But no, yeah, now we're all back here together. So have you been quite creative or have you just been kind of celebrating and partying it up? Well, we t- it was exciting when the album came out. But it's, it's one of those weird things where we're sort of like trying to celebrate and you have all this nervous pent-up energy that you want to have this big release for and the celebration, whatever it is. But actually, it's such an abstract concept when you can't, um, you can't go out and you can't see your mates properly and you can't go to the pub, you can't play gigs for us, was huge. So it's like the charts, at least, like the extent to which I've engaged with it has literally been seeing a screenshot of like the chart website and that, that's what sort of a number two album felt like, which was so odd. And then we sort of obviously had like kicked on at the house quite a lot. But other than that, it did, none of it really feels real yet. Yeah. I guess when you get outside, like when this kind of all calms down a little bit, you'll get out into the real world and you'll be like, right, oh, that's us. We've got a number two album now. People I, I think of... so. I think it, like for us, it's always shows. And that when you sort of hear people sing stuff back to you and you see kind of a tangible amount of people yeah. in front of you. So we got we got Brixton announced the other day, and it was sort of like because we're all going slightly mad and sort of delving down the realms of the internet. The amount of people, if we sell out Brixton, that's the same amount of people that fought on the Norman side at ten sixty six. So you've got like the <laughs> army that conquered, yeah. The amount of people that conquered Britain first time round is uh, the amount of people you could play to and having the palm of your hand at Brixton. So that's a. Uh, Little things like that keep you going, I think. I love the comparison. It's not just, yeah, it's not just a couple of thousand people. It's it's a whole army that we're going to... Exactly. Gonna... Exactly. You could, you could take England with that many people. You, it's happened. You should do it. That's what you said. After a few pints, after the night, you should be like, right, our <laughs> sports team and the lads, we're all, we're all going to take over. <laughs> um, Alex, thank you so much for coming here today. Obviously, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about the concept, but Who's Larry is basically, me and Sarah are on a little bit of a hunt. People always say, happy as Larry, and we are wondering who this Larry fella is. So what he does for a living, what his hobbies are, what he looks like, what his kind of values are. And we're kind of on this metaphorical journey to discover Larry. And we thought, who better than the lead singer of sports team to help us find Larry today? So we're just going to go straight in with the big question. Obviously, the new album is called Deep Down Happy. What makes you deep down happy? I I think we're talking about this. It's something I actually think a lot about and I think more than most people and I think when I sort of act in the world I do quite often think about will it make me happy and obviously sort of have a more like kind of long-term view of that most of the time rather than um kind of like I don't know I could go out and go for 20 points and I'd probably be happy for happy for like that day but long term that's probably not going to make me very happy so it's, it's more subtle than it sounds <laughs> but I I think for me in a band at least like the key to feeling happy and I think I do 
there's been this sort of it's, you get the Socrates stuff, right? Which is always supposed to be like live an examined life, and I think do like the exact opposite of that. Like become a completely passive actor in your own life. Just let stuff happen to you. Never try and think about it very much. And I think that's sort of what being in a band, especially in a climate like that, like this, with COVID going on at the moment, sort of forces you to to feel like I think you you do feel very passive, which I I quite like really. So I, th- I think in general we're happy, but the sort of the album title is obviously deep down happy, and a lot of people ask us like, okay, are you guys happy? But I think we meant it in sort of slightly more of a more of a questioning tone because I think the the longer you've been in the band for, at least you you start to try and sort of place yourself in the world and in the whole catalogue of bands. And you did, for us, it was always about kind of creating this genuinely like alternative model of how we can live our lives. And like the six of us are here in Camberwell in a house all living together. Like I think pretty not a lot of bands actually all live together. And then it's like, oh, okay, you know what? Have we actually just made this into sort of like some kind of young professional hell where we've all like go for jogs and have overnight oats in the fridge and stuff like that? Are we actually living some kind of bohemian <laughs> dream? And some days I think we are and some days I think we're just... We're just functionaries, <laughs> but I don't know. It's quite. It's definitely a questioning tone rather than a kind of like assertion that we're happy and deep down happy. Okay, that's interesting to hear. So it's not. It's not like a, a statement, or it's. It's more of a kind of. Because because I, I think what what you guys do and what I like about your stuff so much is you kind of you do hold a bit of a mirror up on society, and obviously you've spoke about it so many times about kind of romanticizing things. And I think one of the best things about being in a band is you are bringing a level of happiness to the fans. So by them getting to experience your music and see you guys live, they will leave with that buzz. And I remember when when you first see that artist, like when you're 14, 13, and you go and see someone you love for the first time, you kind of have that buzz. And then you get it also because you're getting to perform to a, an army of soldiers at the end of it as well. So like, was there, was there like a, a conversation, obviously, Many different ideas got flounced around for album titles. Where where did kind of the original intent come from? Um, it's it's. I think it, I would love to say it was kind of more considered, but it was. It's from a book called "The People of Providence." It's the actual quote, and I think we just sort of liked the turn of phrase rather than anything else. First of all, and then it 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 did. It became this journey about sort of how you actually find uh, find joy and happiness and contentment in the world and we have an opportunity i think incredibly luckily for all of us that you can essentially sort of dictate how we want to live you can do sort of an experiment in in ways of being ways of living and we've chosen to like shack up in a house in camberwell which is probably the stupidest choice we could have made to try and achieve some level of contentment in our lives you talk about the live shows and i think um there is sort of certain ingredients to being happy at least and one of them I think is a sense of community and I think you've you've lost a lot of sort of traditional sources of that in the UK whether it was sort of like uh, like being part of a trade union or like team sports are on the decline or kind of like working men's club or whatever it was that a lot of people used to it was a big part of their lives or youth clubs even in, in London um, that did, did give you a sense of togetherness and sort of shared purpose and, but live music is still one of those few things where you, where you can get that. And I think you have seen this kind of incredible life phenomenon where people have this sort of sense of yearning for identity and community that live still really, really fulfills for a lot of people. So that I think that's always what, always what we've tried to make our gigs about. Yeah, and I, I think you mentioned it there, and so many people that we've spoken to on this podcast so far to talk about 
the community element. And I think with bands especially, a lot of people like in the caveman times, you talk about tribes and belonging to that that tribe. And and you look back many years ago, you kind of had like the emo movement or like the the rock movement or like the mods and the rockers. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of that, especially in kind of chart music today. So then for you guys to come along and be like, we're all about creating a community and creating that kind of tribe. It kind of it feels like it's it's coming back now, especially with the the genre of music you guys are doing. Yeah, for sure. It's it's it's, like, it's a life phenomenon that you're seeing at the moment. With I mean, there's so many acts that are part of it, like Idols and Fontaines and stuff. And it there is this sense of identity. And I think I, I think I've probably put it wrongly in the past when I've said it's it's about sort of a feeling of tribalism and like our gang versus the world. You know, I think that might be how we feel as sort of six people. Because you do, you have quite a visceral reaction to being on stage, kind of facing a crowd even. So this is just the other side of it, I suppose, from where we're coming from. Which is, for me at least, you almost get a survival instinct triggered in you. Like you're facing a crowd of five, ten thousand people, whatever it is. And something clicks in your mind and you, you almost feel sort of a sense of confrontation. You have to rise to it, but you've got your five best mates behind you. And that, so that bonds us, I think, probably more than anything. That You go through these... I've noticed like terrifying, ecstatic experiences. But then for the crowd as well, I'd imagine they say, they feel the same thing. If you've given up energy to them, they're in the same position. It's like they just want to give more and more and more back. So it is a two-way thing, absolutely. But the, I think the community, it just it goes it goes quite deep for us. I mean, it's all our fans are on, sort of a lot of them on a WhatsApp group. They've all got our numbers. Like they all know they could call us if they've ever have got an issue. I mean, I, I always put that in quite a nice way, but usually it's you get like three lads from Newcastle call you at four in the morning and just like giggle down the phone when they've had the first beer and stuff. <laughs> so like, it doesn't always pan out as this like, beautiful community movement that we think it will. <laughs> but I think it, it's you get it to the stage where it's self-sustaining at least. Like we don't need to push stuff to these fans at all. Like they'll they'll meet up their own accord and they'll they'll do things. They just happen to be people now who are involved with the band, whether they even like it or not, I'm not particularly sure. Like, if it really matters whether like their friends are fans or whether they enjoy the music or they enjoy the performance or they like us as people they're, ju- they're just caught up in it now you know and it's it's about sort of sharing the experience of it all i was going to mention this later on but since we're on the topic um with the fans and the the whatsapp group so does this like kind of relationship and the engagement that you have with them add sort of an extra element of happiness and joy as a musician to be able to engage so like closely with your fans because it's not something a lot of bands do I think it's quite brave sharing a phone number with them <laughs> and kind of putting yourself out there like that yeah I I, I think for it like I mean, for a start we wouldn't be able to do it without anything like we'd be a very sad band if we didn't have any fans who for some reason felt like this was a community I genuinely find it quite like inexplicable that it's formed around this band because I don't think we've ever made that conscious an attempt to create it. You, I think we just feel we're a part of it as much as anyone else. It's the stuff I was sort of, sort of saying before, but also I think we see um, a lot of what we do because you do get, I know I was saying at the start, like I don't want to live an examined life, but you do start to sort of relativise being in a band a little bit more. Like we read books about like, the New York punk scene and stuff like that. And you start to find sort of your place in the world and you realise how cliched every single thing you've done. I mean, is like the last time I saw Steve Lamack as well. He was showing me his old zines and things like that, where it was still like a very traditional model of fandom. Like they would do exactly the same things our fans do now, but not in a digital form. And he was, I was reading these interviews, and they were like, "God, what a cliche!" Like that. He's like, "Oh yeah, you're just like all these fans, like the gobby stuff, just falls exactly into that trap." 
but we we see like when we go on stage and we see kind of a group of people having this sort of time around it like our, ourselves when we we're like 15 16 years old like none of us are from london but we'd all kind of get the train to like our nearest big city and i remember seeing bands like woo life at the village underground and like egyptian hip-hop in london and stuff and those were all the moments where it was like we'd first like nip a few drinks from our parents' drinks cabinets and stuff like that. It was the first time you got drunk and you might be able to get someone to get you a beer on the way. And they felt like these kind of very formative experiences. And I think it, it immediately sort of bonds you to the group around you and the experience you're having if, if it is formative and it is the first time you've done so many things. And I see that with our quite young fan base. It's, I see a lot of ourselves in all of them. Yeah, I guess no one, no one's kind of born and then like even if you maybe come from like a famous parents or so, like you still grow up and you're still going to gigs and you're still having the influences and someone, do you know what I mean? There's still a journey from somewhere. So as much as these young people that are looking up at you, there's going to be the next kind of generation of guitar music or someone might be into like who who was kind of the ones that inspired you to get into it and then does it baffle you that sometimes you might be up st- up on that stage? And then someone in the audience might be like, I want to be like Alex. I want to do that. Yeah, well, it's, it's, we talk about it sometimes. Like, I think we all had sort of slightly different reactions to the first time we saw bands. I think Ollie was like, whoa, like, that's amazing. Oh, I could never do that kind of thing. I always just feel kind of like, immensely jealous when I saw these people <laughs> up on the stage and just be like, God, I want that. And it's, 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 it's trying to work out sort of where do you think you're people that could actually have done anything else? Because it's, it's a very sort of easy narrative to be like, oh, we're sort of pure artists, whatever it is, oh, I couldn't have functioned in the real world. But I think, I'm sure we could, you know. I don't, I don't think we'd have found as much joy out of life as, um, as we do in this band, like going around the world with your mates together. But I, I don't think any of them see themselves as these sort of pure creatives. I don't think they really exist. Like ed, anyone could sort of fall into this with the right kind of perfect circumstances that form around it. So I, I think when people see on stage, hopefully you see our band and think like, you know what? Like a lot of the time it's, it's not that good. Like it's not kind of amazingly talented musicianship. It's just sort of six people, slightly amateurish on stage who look like they're enjoying it and look like they're a group of friends and there's sort of six completely different personalities up there as well and I'm sure everyone would sort of tether themselves to one person in the band and be like you know what I can relate to that and I can relate to that that feeling of being a band and I could do it yeah it's like it's like friends you watch it and you're like there's definitely I'm definitely one of them like everyone can kind of see who they are within the band obviously you kind of touched on it a little bit there did you all study at Cambridge uh, yeah we did and that's where you met I feel like there's a a large kind of social pressure particularly as well on university to, to kind of go through the system of school college university and then if you add kind of Cambridge did you feel that you wouldn't be able to get that that happiness doing something else like when you first tasted the first live gig did you think that there might be a time where you're like, I'm not going to get the same fulfilment by not doing this. And and the social pressure of obviously Cambridge. Um, I, I think actually the sort of the the luck and sort of the massive privilege you have from kind of being people that, that have gone to Cambridge is it's one of the, you, can't, you do have sort of some sense of stability at least. Like we're almost kind of some of the only people privileged enough to actually pursue being in a band with a sense that you might have something to fall back on you wouldn't be completely sort of down on your luck if, if it didn't go well so I think we feel really lucky for having that bit of it the fact that it's it's not all felt like this kind of enormous gamble like we wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been in a terrible terrible place if it had gone badly for us 
But so I, I think we did it because just because we we loved this so much, and we I don't think any band really ever has a moment where they think, you know what, this is what we're gonna sort of pursue, and this is the day we're a band. You know, it's you fall into it in loads of tiny steps. So when we first started doing it, you do it because you love it, and you're like sitting around in your mate's room, and like everyone's got a guitar, and it doesn't really matter if anything goes with it or not, and you just want to play a gig, and that's your dream. Like at the start, our, this this is a kind of key facet of happiness too. I think that. When we first started, our dream would have been to play like the Old Blue Last in London or something that we'd seen and a band like Eagles at or something like that. And be like, that would be amazing. That would be the best thing we could ever do. And then you sort of achieve some of those goals and you're like, okay, well, you've sort of done everything you wanted to do with a band. Like all you all you wanted to do was play a few shows with your mates. And then suddenly maybe a manager gets on board and it, it happens very, very gradually. And now it's kind of, you have to check yourself quite often to find yourself at a stage where we're playing Brixton next year. And you know that's that's your dream. Like that, two years ago would have been just inconceivable. And if someone had offered you that, you'd have been like, this is the greatest life I could possibly have lived. Like this is every single dream I've ever wanted. But then we'll finish it and I'll be like, oh, you know what, Fontaine's doing Ali Pally. Like why aren't we doing it? <laughs> like, like, we should be doing that. And you, so you, I think that it's a difference between kind of, we're quite conscious of never sort of letting ourselves feel content in a way, which I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. I think we always have this sense that if we do settle and we do stop, that's when someone else will overtake you. Because it's like, I mean, there's so many amazing guitar bands at the moment. And you see bands that kind of look a bit like we did two years ago, kind of coming through and playing their first shows at wherever it is, Old Last or the Windmill. That used to be five bells for us, but I don't think they have ones there anymore. And you're like, oh dear, they're good, they're good. <laughs> like, and you just sort of, you, yeah, you wish they'd crumble. <laughs> and you wish this scene had stopped, <laughs> stopped producing so many good bands. But like, I was listening to the the first one, like Speedy Wonderground are doing a full album release of Today, Tina. I was like, oh dear, that's good. <laughs> that's always, so it kind of keeps you on your toes, I think. And I, it's, it's funny for us because we do always have that striving. I know people like Ollie in the band get quite annoyed that, People like me and Rob can't quite sort of settle and just sort of enjoy the moment very often because it's uh, you you do always have that sense of striving and ambition for it that you want to take it as far as you can. Like I saw, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there was an interview Noel Gallagher did after they did Network. And he was like, that's the moment his happiness pivoted on because there's nothing left for him to achieve. And he was like, oh, everything you do will seem like a step down from there, from how three nights there, like 10% of the population applying for tickets. So I don't know. I don't know whether we'll, we'll ever get there when you actually find your peak and there's no sort of momentum in it anymore and you, you can't be as ambitious and kind of giddy about it the whole time. But yeah, that's that's definitely something we think about. What has been the, the high point so far, do you think? I once read you tried to book Wembley Arena for 2021. <laughs> would that be like the goal that would, you know, for ultimate happiness as a band? Is that your net worth? No, this is the thing that there's, there's not a chance, like not a chance in hell that that would make us happy. If we did that, we'd come off and be like, oh, someone else sold it out quicker. Like it would be <laughs> that, honestly, like, I, I really mean that. I don't think we'll ever have a sort of a sense of contentment. I think the closest you possibly get is when you're actually on stage because you, it's such a sort of visceral feeling you get that you can't, um, can't really replace anywhere else. It becomes a bit like a drug for you, I think, because I, I think I'm quite, it's a cliche thing to say that like playing live is like a drug, but it sort of is. Like we did 160 live dates last year and you, because me at least, I'm quite like a nervous, twitchy person almost. And 
if you can build up your whole day to having that sort of release where you get everything out on stage in front of a big crowd that night, you then, that's the only time I ever really have a sense of sort of real calm. Now I come off stage and I feel genuinely calm, or quite meditatively calm. And to have that sort of stripped away during this sort of period, you realise how much you actually got out of the, the just experience of playing live. So I think it is that, it is that kind of caveman instinct you get there and the chemicals that sets off that, that is sort of the goal and the, the best bit. So obviously, Alex, we've been following you guys and like the, the success that you've had. So you've had like a number two album, the highest number of vinyl sales this year, the highest number of first week sales for a debut album by a British band in like four years. So like in terms of, ticking off things on like a bucket list this must be huge for you what kind of level of happiness did that bring to you because I saw that you put a bet on to to get number one yeah, yeah we are cocky <laughs> shit so like, it worked for yeah, us yeah, yeah it pays off yeah i've got that got the list on my wall that just tick them off you know like, <laughs> i mean it's, i mean like, on, honestly the um the album kind of charting as well as it did and and all that stuff i don't think brought any of us really any happiness at all because it's so abstract it's not something you can actually engage with in a real way at all i think it'll it'll mean something when we can we can play it to people and you can see people in front of you because that's that's how you count it basically you've got no idea how well things are going until you see it in front of you like i think a lot of happiness is engaging with things in quite a sort of in a tangible way and in a kind of a very digital world where we don't even see sort of the team who have helped us helped us release the album at the moment to sort of celebrate with them and stuff, you never really have like tactile, tangible moments that that, that make it real, if you know what I mean. How how would it feel then, obviously, if you were to look back at the conversations that you guys as a band sat and you kind of when you when you said, you know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go in the bookies, I'm gonna put a bet on that we're gonna get number one, and then to to look now and be like that's what we did. As much as you, you say it's being cocky, I think it's more ambitious. How how would you kind of feel looking back at and kind of a, a younger Alex and saying like this? How would you describe that it won't necessarily fulfil your happiness in a sense like you've just said? Because um, I, I, when I when I say it, it sort of doesn't fill my happiness, it's not to say that I'm I'm not happy. I think that's just that's not quite the bit. I th- I think I probably you're right. I probably thought like the actual having of the thing would be the bit that made me happy but it's, de- it's definitely not like none of that is it is as we say that the sort of community and the fact that you get to do it with like basically your five best mates it's kind of like, it's the shared experiences you have and the fact that we're all still living together and we all still get on and you go around the world and you get to see incredible places and you get to you get to sort of have a platform to talk about things that you want to and like those are the sort of joyful thoughtful bits i think rather than the sort of having of a, a, a sales figure or whatever it is. It's the things that it enables you to actually do, which is incredible. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like the milestones kind of bring you the, the opportunity to kind of lay back a little bit and you can kind of enjoy the, the moments more in, in that sense, rather than saying, we've done this, it's like, okay, well now we can spend the next six months touring and we're in a van and on a daily basis, I'm, I'm happier because I'm doing that rather than wearing a suit and tie to work doing something I don't enjoy. Yeah, it, I mean, it won't be a van anymore, fingers crossed, either. I'm quite excited <laughs> for that tour bus. I mean, browsing tour buses. A helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, it won't be that van, which will, which will be nice. But um, we are still filled with that sort of sense of terror. Like, we were talking about the bands we used to go and see when we were kids. Like, 
and uh, Egyptian hip hop. I, I remember like going to that with Rob and being like, they're going to be the biggest band in the world kind of thing. And where are they now? And so, so I think we're aware of all the, as I suspect most people in the music industry are, of the just fragility of it all, which is which is important, but you, you do have to force yourself to, to enjoy certain moments, as you say, which we do. We're not these kind of, maniacs that are like kind of all these like power crazed run to a big career like we do we do sit and it's that you see it in the little moments where you're sitting around a table and sort of all having a drink or you get something that feels more real like we got sent the original artwork for the album the other day that um has been auctioned off and stuff but just seeing things like that and it's like oh you know what that's where we would have been or like you'll find a photo in the house that will be of your first gig or something like that and those are the moments where everyone because it's shared you're like oh it is pretty incredible isn't it and you sort of pat each other on the back and like give each other a little hug and things but it's it's having the people around you that have, that have been with it all the way that, that the joy comes from you mentioned how you're all living together in camberwell and obviously the album kind of maps that journey of you guys moving to london has that move made like has living in London essentially been as good as you expected and made you as happy as expected? Um, yeah, so as you say, like we moved in first. It was me, Ollie, and Rob used to live together in Westbourne Park, and then then we were all in Harlston for a little bit in Northwest London, and then we moved out last year when we did, so did all these live dates, and that was basically just like sleeping on rehearsal room floors and like sleeping on mate sofas and stuff like that for a year. And me, I think me, Ollie, Ben and Henry, we all shared a room for about 18 months. Wow. Which was like, it was so, it's yeah. It's, which, so, but it, but it's little things like that that sort of give, um, give what you have now relativity, I think. And it's remembering bits like that and forcing yourself to remember bits like that. Because I remember when we first moved back to London after that sort of long period and I'm sitting in my own room now, that felt like sort of the most luxurious thing i could possibly imagine like, it's, it's, it's incredible like, i can lock my door i can have people forget around, a, forget of... a number two album i want my own room that's, <laughs> that's happiness <laughs> exactly exactly it really is and it's it's little things like that that make you realize how incredible it is like even even with the van we were talking about like what we drive around in the other day we used to drive around in ollie's mum's volvo that sort of like the footwells at the front were always completely flooded and you had to jump start it if you ever stopped it for petrol or anything like that. And then you got a van. It's like, oh, amazing. Like, the van's got a PS4 in it. Like, it's the best thing in the world. And you think that for about a month. And you're like, oh, it's incredible. So it's, it is all kind of um, the, the relative aspect of it, which I suppose comes down to why it's quite a struggle to d- draw joy from the, sort of the knowledge that the album has gone well in the charts. Because our, our life didn't change. We still all woke up in in Camberwell and we still kind of got down and like fight a bit and do exactly the same thing and drink cheap lager around the table or whatever <laughs> it is and yet like life didn't change at all but you can be aware of it in an abstract way that things are going well so you you need I think to sort of like scrap on the way up to to really enjoy the bits that get better I think and for us a lot of it too was I remember when because we were, we were all working just like normal jobs in London as well like in in various things we'd like quit every three four weeks or so but like, i'm really doing completely <laughs> different stuff living together and we come back and rehearse till sort of one in the morning just whinge about work like this is so awful like we can't do this forever <laughs> kind of thing um but the, and then i remember the day we quit for the band which was about the day after scala and you suddenly felt like you had just all the time in the world to pursue everything you wanted and now you suddenly had it for a couple of years and you feel like there's not enough hours in the day and you, know, and you have to 
you need moments on the way that make you realise how great and brilliant things are. Do you, do you think that kind of the unhappiness that was brought to you by kind of the struggling at work and obviously the whinging, do you think that that's ultimately led to like going going through a, a stage that was where you were so unhappy doing something that you hated? You're like, right, well, I'm going to ch- channel this energy and, and kind of put it into a positivity rather than letting it swallow you up and thinking, right, I'm going to be doing this job for the rest of my life. I, I think so. We, we all tried like completely different stuff as well. I, I think it's... You never sort of quite think in your head, it's like, oh, the band is, like, that's the perfect solution. Kind of thing. Like, I was a market trader for quite a while. I was a, I was a postman <laughs> for a bit. And I kept thinking, it's like, you know what? If I could just be like outside, that would be the one. Or like, or what I need is like the entrepreneurial element. I'll be a market trader. I hate that as well. <laughs> so like, God knows, we tried to sort of find the, find the thing that made us normal people. And then I think you you do sort of come to a realisation there's something not quite right with you and that you're all sort of slightly flawed characters that do need, that do have this sort of sense of like very deep yearning. Because um, cause I've I got, I got, like, got two sisters and stuff like that who, who work in like London and Manchester and stuff and are so content. I like, just love it. Like love going to work every day. And I always talk to them, it's like, how like, surely you must think like, there must be more sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I think it's it it's it is knowing yourself in that sense and knowing what you you really need out of things and working out a way to get that basically. And I think with the the album Deep Down Happy, it sounds like you've kind of gone on a bit of a search for that. So you've kind of gone, oh yeah, this will make me happy, or if I just do this, this will make me happy. But it seems like now you're like, okay, it's not going to be a particular thing that's going to make me happy. It's the things that can lead to kind of my level of happiness on a on a constant level yeah it's 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 all the things you you'd hope you you think it would be it's kind of like sometimes a bit of a sense of stability and a sense that now at least it's starting to feel like this is the very least something that we could do for the rest of our lives rather than feeling like it's so something's oh you take every week as it comes and just try and enjoy the moments you know but I, i think you can start to think more long term about sort of what you want to do with it and like the way you want to express yourself through it and some of the things you want to achieve that are a bit more um a bit broader than just playing a big show or something like that so i think when you realize you're in it for a very long time and you've you've made it stable you can start to think differently about it so that yeah. stability i think in kind of so many areas of people's lives like whether you're in a band or not is is hugely important in this and we're lucky enough to have that at the moment and we feel I'm incredibly privileged to, to have had that for pretty since we finished Cambridge. Like the fact that you do have a bit of some kind of semblance of stability in your life, but for so many people, that's just that's not true at all. And you have to think in, in a much more sort of short termist way, I think, about what you're trying to achieve. So that's sure. definitely been something, that, something that's felt quite recent for us in the band, at least the, the sort of notion that it's a career, not like this is great fun, but really how long is this gonna last kind of thing i think that's something that's <laughs> that's come up a couple of times in our like when me and jack have previously spoken to people about how um, when it comes to work if you're enjoying it and it's like as much fun as it sounds like you're having and, and <laughs> you find it then it's not really a job when you're enjoying it so much and it doesn't really become work it's it's funny isn't it because you'd like your when whenever we first started doing this or sort of, it was like a hobby basically for so long this was our hobby and when your sort of joy and your dream becomes your routine you you end up having quite a new relationship with it I think like, yeah 
Is it, is it, there have even been sort of a few moments on tour where you're like, oh, come on, like, can we just go home now? And you're just like, come on, this is ridiculous. This is kind of everything you wanted. So there's definitely sort of a, a, a joy in kind of like the novelty of doing something new. We still feel frustration and things like that because because it does become to some extent a grind. Like a lot of it, like a lot of it's not kind of the bits you necessarily see. Like it's kind of touring is like 10 hours in a van and sort of 45 yeah. minutes of ecstasy. So <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically <laughs> maybe <laughs> um, when you get on stage and yeah I, I think the kind of the routine versus passion element is something I think we're sort of learning to confront I think we've we've definitely established that Larry doesn't share a bedroom with his, uh, <laughs> with his mate he's de- Larry's definitely got his own his own bedroom I think I think Larry would definitely be a, a sports team fan because uh, this morning when I woke up I put uh, here's a thing on and it just brings you ultimate like like you said XC or like I was bopping around my bedroom just listening to it if you kind of had to think of one thing of this this bloke Larry 100% happiness all the time what do you think it is that in your opinion Alex would you say makes him so happy I I think it's it's stuff like this it's it's being able to talk about happiness and being able to try and work out what makes you happy like a lot of people uh, happiness wouldn't necessarily be the goal it might be um success or wealth but like aiming for happiness is really really important and sort of knowing yourself well enough to realize the things that that do make you happy and it's a lot of the time it's quite sort of it's like warming achievable stuff like finding a group of people who you can sort of have a shared sense of identity and purpose with and building a community around whatever it is shows like wherever you find that from like a sports team or or going to gigs, or like being part of a political movement, it's it's like a really really important element of people's lives. I think that's so often forgotten. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Alex. That was an amazing insight into the world of sports team and you know being a touring band and what level of happiness <laughs> that kind of brings to you. And we're excited for you to go on stage and get your get your army rallied <laughs> up, and we'll, we'll see that on BBC News the next day. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Jack Frimston. I'm Sarah Tabar. And that was an absolutely incredible episode with Mr. Alex Rice, the lead singer of Sports Team, who is deep down happy as Larry. Make sure you check out their debut album, Deep Down Happy, and uh, might just get a Mercury Prize in, in a few months' time. And from one sports team to another... Next week, me and Jack are going to talk about actual sports, but it's not really our strong topic. It's not for me. So we thought we'd invite professional footballer and all-round sportsman Liam McDevitt to enlighten us on the joys of sports. We'll see you next week.